I guess I would probably say that there probably are only a very few of you that either have seen or know the storyline behind the Game of Thrones. This book series that has been made into a television series that is filmed largely in Ireland. But it's about one king who is over seven kingdoms. It's about a throne that is made out of the swords of all the conquered kingdoms. But yet, as we see and as we go through the seasons, we see, first of all, how power is really corrupted. How power is self-centered, self-aggrandizing. Power is not used most of the time for the people. But yet... Counter to that, you have a child who is thought to be a bastard, who has been raised up by circumstances to lead armies against an army that will destroy all of the seven kingdoms if they are not defeated. I think sometimes we are captured in our imagination by kings for a variety of reasons. Depending upon your background, I know that somebody wants to name a new town after Bonnie Prince Charlie. Um, you know, we think about people that have been in Scotland and England and other places where we've had kings. In Israel, they had a king because they weren't satisfied with just having God as their king. And so God told them all the bad things that were going to happen with having a king. They said, yeah, we still want a king. And what you see in the history and in the major prophets and the minor prophets is God telling a story of the failure of human leadership generation after generation after generation. Now, I said earlier that Psalm 99 is this glimpse into heaven. It is a foundational one, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But what we have to realize is that all centers of power in human people, all human leadership, is either an imitation of God or an idol. And usually it is a corrupt, self-serving imitation. Because people use power for their own good. People want to be free, but they're not really sure what that means. They want to rule themselves, but they're not really sure what that means. Now, I think one of the things about Psalm 99, as I read it, it's a psalm that brings hope to those who are disenfranchised, those who are weak and powerless, because they can go to Psalm 99 and says, that's where the real power is. That's where the real power is. That is where the redemptive power is. sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his right might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice. 
and righteousness in Jacob. See, in a world where, in a lot of ways, power is very corrupt, when people look at the world and they study the lack of human progress, one of the biggest things that is preventing people and peoples from progressing is corruption. And after that is violence. And so those people that are in places where there is corruption, where there is violence, they can look and they say, I know who is really there who really wants justice for me. Because we worship a holy God who executes royal justice. This image of God on the throne with the cherubim and the angelic beings around him, this image of an eternal God who is not created, who we can't see, but yet he is there. And he's a holy God that we can come into his presence. Verse 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. That word holy is used again and again in the Psalms and in other places to describe being in the very presence of God. That is, in some ways, a very simple definition of what it means to be holy, because God is separate. You think of the phrase in Isaiah 6 where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It is what God, it is, what God is, and where he is, he is holy. Where God is, it's holy. And see, part of this image that I want us to see as we come together to worship is that it's not about the numbers, it's about who's there. It's about the fact that God is there. That we come into his presence because he invites us, he makes it available. Last week, we saw that God, through the blood of Christ, enables us to come into his presence. But when we think about holy, God is, by definition and the definition, of what it means to be holy. He is separate. He's separate from everything. But yet we can come into his presence. It's one of those things that it is almost impossible for our imaginations to grab onto it. But yet he gives us a word picture. And I've always thought it was interesting because I've been to Egypt twice. When you look around and you see the pictographs, you see all of that, that God chose to communicate in writing through an alphabet language to describe what is true. And so here, you know, when you come into his presence, you think of him as high and exalted. You think of him as a king. When you come to worship each Sunday, when you gather as a family, when you sit down by yourself with your Bible, do you see God as 99 tells us that he reigns? That simple idea. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. This very compact use of words of Hebrew poetry. And I think that's one of the things that, and I'm very careful because I know who I'm sitting, standing in front of, 
But I remember when I took a whole semester's class, three hours, on poets. And I had a professor who was probably at the time one of the best people to talk about Hebrew poetry. And we learned again and again and again all these details, all these nuances. Now, when, if, if you were uh, with us on Wednesday night um, in our section on Jonah, Jonah uses puns. But you've got to understand Hebrew. The puns are lost in translation. There's a lot that can be lost in translation, and then that leaves it to people like me to say, hey, here's an, in, here's an insight. But the idea that the Lord reigns, when I think about the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, was this phrase echoing in their mind when they wrote that? When Christians think about what is my confession of faith, and part of it is that the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. Look at that relationship between the Almighty God and the world, the globe. Remember it was God when he was speaking to Abraham in that first revelation in Revelation, I mean in Genesis chapter 12, when he says he's going to make a covenant, and through him he would bless all the families of the earth. That there is this global view, and here there is that global view, and I think it's important for us as Christians to realize that when he reigns, he reigns over all the peoples. You know, I, I've, I've told you about, about my name and the things I've been thinking about it is, you know, that McFarland means son, son of a far, far land. And so when, when somebody wrote down McFarland with the PH in the 5th century tax records, when the 5th century AD, where were we the children of a far land from, that our name told our neighbors were immigrants. I mean, think about, you know, we carry around word, you know, it sounds very nice, right, McFarland? But it means you're an immigrant. You're people that keep moving. When we think about that, we need to realize when we look at people from wherever they are, whatever language they speak, that the Lord reigns. And that someday, in spite of all the corruption and all the violence, that will be taken care of. Now, in this, it tells us, in verse 4, the king in his might loves justice. What does justice mean? What does it mean in Hebrew? What does it mean to those people today? It is the idea of judgment based upon law. Now, later on, we're going to, we're going to talk about that, that God has given us information. He's given us things to live our lives by. But yet there really can be justice that is fair, no matter what your background, rich or poor. That there is a justice that is over all the earth. It's not just in one place. Now, Isaiah in Isaiah 42 reminds us, Behold my servant upon whom my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. It's 
part of the mission of Jesus Christ is to bring justice to the nations. That is part of the gospel. That is woven into it. Now, one of the things that I think is important is that we believe that when we read Psalm 99 and the rest of Scripture, is that God is noble. We can know who he is, even though he is separate, even though he is holy, the one who wants justice. Verse 6 says, Moses and Aaron are among your priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon your name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of cloud he spoke to them, and they kept his testimonies in the statues that he gave them. God would speak to his people, and they could write it down. God would speak to them out of the tower through the priests in different places, through the pillar rather. And they were to keep a record of those testimonies, the statutes that he gave them. So that in, when we think about human kings creating justice, they can imitate God based upon God's law, based upon what he has said is to be right and to be wrong. See, he's a holy God who is just. The greatest way we know that he is both holy and just is in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, you have the righteous dying for the unrighteous. You have the holy dying for the unholy. Because God's justice is satisfied, our sins need to be paid for. That's the language of the marketplace, of paying for something. And Jesus did that. He paid for our sins. And we can know about that. Now this next part from verse 8, I think is just very powerful. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but a man avenger of their wrongdoings. You were forgiving God. You know, we can't appreciate that unless we realize that we need to be forgiven. Here you have this image of this powerful king, this cosmic king, this creator king, this redeemer king. And after using his covenantal name, O Lord, our God, and notice that it's our God, it's not my God, it's our God, that, that the psalm writer sees himself in a community relationship with God. You answered them, and what's the thing he says you answered them? When you think about the lines of poetry going here, you answered them, you were a forgiving God to them. See, if you think about God reigning in this psalm, the next thing I want you to think about is that he's a forgiving God. Now, where else are we going to see that? We're going to see that in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us this day as we forgive. It's the only part of the Lord's Prayer that is picked up right away where God says, if, if I forgive you, you're going to forgive others. If you don't, I won't forgive you. It's, it's one of those sections of scripture that just haunts me. I have to be a forgiving person because God has forgiven me. I have to remember that, and it tells us that here and that. You are a forgiving God. 
That is part of his revelation about who he is, what he wants us to know. And if we're going to be like our king, if we're going to be like the king who reigns over all the people, if we're going to be like what Jesus wants us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, we are going to be forgiving people. Because that's part of his kingdom. That's part of his kingdom culture is to forgive. That was part of the story I had to tell in Holiday Club. Was in the Lord's Supper scene when Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times before the rooster crows. Of course, he says he'll never do it. And then around the warm fire, he denies him three times. Jesus knows, Peter knows, as the rooster crows. But see, that's not where the story ends. The story ends down at the beach when they're coming in. He said, go out and get more fish. And they bring in all this fish. They bring in all, you know, they've just got this wonderful catch. And Jesus is cooking fish on the, on the, um, the coals. We, we call that dirty grilling when you put the meat right on the coals. There's a lot of stuff that people who can really pay attention can really cook it on the coals well. But Jesus was doing that. But then Jesus turned to Peter and he says, do you love me? Here is Jesus speaking to a man who has denied him publicly. And he says, do you love me? He says, yes. Take care of my sheep. Then again, do you love me? Yes. Take care of my sheep. And a third time he asked, do you love me? And he says, yes. We think about the three denials and the three loves and the three ways that Jesus reaches out and brings him back because he has forgiven him. And Peter needs to know that. And see, what we do is we need to know that because God has recorded those three stories, that sequence in the relationship between Peter, who was a very visible leader, For us to read about his failure and his restoration. To know that in our failures we can be restored because as the passage says in verse 8, you were a forgiving God to them. Going back to Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. Because all God's leaders failed him at one point. But he was a forgiving God. And sometimes that's hard to take because we can become self-righteous in our own behavior and say, well, I don't need to be given 70 times 7. Maybe 7, but not 70 times 7. But God is a forgiving God. You do not find that, I do not think, in any other message in the world today. God's knowable, God's forgiving, he's approachable. Verse 5, 
Exalt the Lord our God, remember. remember. I mean, one of the things that I think sometimes we just fly over ours and us's, it's that community. Worship at his footstool, holy is he. One of the most intimate places in a throne room is at the footstool of the sovereign. People would come up and kiss the shoe. They would come up and touch it. Isaiah 66 reminds us, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is that place for my rest? All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be. See how he's stretching our mind? He's saying, well, well, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He's, he's building us this cosmic bridge so that we can come and worship in his presence. Because at the footstool where the feet of the sovereign were, that is where they could come and they could be in his presence. Holy is he. We are invited to touch that which is holy. We are invited to come into the presence of that which is holy and available to us because of Christ. He is approachable. Jesus, when he came and said that I've come to do all that the Father has sent me to do to bring them together, the job was to bring them back to the Father. One of the most powerful illustrations, I think, as we look around where we live, is the illustration of the shepherd going out and looking for that one sheep that was lost. Had the 99 all tucked away. Because as I drive around and I see the sheep on the hill and the sheep almost in the road and the sheep that have been sheared, and I, I saw one that I said, I guess the barber must have given up on that one because it looked, <laughs> I mean, it was just kind of crazy. I said, you left some money on that sheep. But we're to exalt the Lord our God because he's approachable. <laughs> and so when you think about approaching God, you remember that you are never alone because he is the Lord our God that we are approaching with all the saints. We are joining together, even though we may be geographically in one location, spatially, physically, however you want to look upon it. But he's approachable. And so when we come to worship, we need to come in our minds thinking about we are coming to worship the one who reigns and the one who forgives. And lastly, I go back to verse 1. Because it's so easy to forget this. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He is reigning over all the peoples, over all the earth. We, we cannot look around because what we want to do is say, my little valley, my village, my family, we want to isolate what God can do and keep God for ourselves. And God wants us always to stretch and to see that he can work, let all the peoples tremble, let the earth quake. And so we read about a young girl in Nigeria we're going to be visited by a pastor from India. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe. They speak a different language. They have different skin tones. They like different kinds of foods. Some of them are from very large populated areas. Some of them are from very 
rural, isolated areas. Because we know so little about Leah, this girl in Nigeria who was by herself, other than for some reason that the other 110 were let go. And the reason she was not let go is because she would not convert. Meant that she must have had some kind of interaction with her captors for them to know that she followed Jesus. That her family, her church, prepared her for something they never imagined and never wanted. But she is part of the hour when we think about the Lord our God, this little girl by herself, that we pray for her freedom. So we need to continue to think globally. We need to be concerned about our neighbors. We need to learn to love them and get to know them. But we need to be willing to think about all the world. So when we think about the stories of kings and queens and armies, we need to ask ourselves, what is the image in our heart? Do we have an image of the Lord who reigns, who loves justice, who is forgiving, that we can worship intimately with him? That we can exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy, is the way it ends in verse 9. His covenant name, he's holy, but yet we can come into his presence. So every time we come to worship, yes, we look around and we see the neighbors and our friends and members that we love and care for, but yet we need in our minds to realize I've come not just to be with them, but more than that, I've come to be with the Lord our God, because I want to worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Let us pray. Father, you give us this psalm with these images and references that are throughout the Bible story, throughout the history. You give us this compact collection of words that, that are so powerful as they create an image that is very simple, but yet so powerful, so memorable. And Father, as we come to worship you week by week and day by day, we pray that the images and the words of Psalm 99 would be in our hearts and our minds and would shape our lives. Father, as we look out and listen to the world and, and the news, we need to remember that you reign. As we experience disappointment and hurt from friends and loved ones, we need to remember that you are forgiving. But most of all, help us to remember that you are approachable, that we can come into your very presence because of the shed blood of Christ. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.